Well, Upward, how are we doing? You guys are doing fantastic. That's so good to hear. Hey, if I have not met you yet, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, grateful that you're here with us this morning. Hope you feel right at home. And I'm really excited to actually get to kick off a message series today. We are in a series called Road Trip. And we are, uh, we're looking at the life of Jesus because we figured if we were going to look at somebody's life, that's probably a good life to look at, especially when you come to church. And, uh, you know, we got to looking at the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And when they went on these road trips, I don't know if you know this, they didn't have cars. And so to get there, they used their feet and they walked. And uh, those journeys took some time most of the time. It wasn't like just a, an hour down the road most of the time. It, it took some time. And uh, what we noticed is a lot happened between point A and point B. There were a lot of detours. There were a lot of seemingly interrupting moments from where they were headed and where they started. And uh, we thought it might be cool to just spend a few weeks looking at some of those moments where Jesus either gets interrupted or where he has to take a break or where he takes a detour and where he stops in those moments and he still does incredible Jesus Things. And so today I'm excited to look in John chapter 4 at the time Jesus stopped at a rest stop. You guys know that story, right? Hey, my guess is we have all taken a long journey at some point. Show of hands, anybody taking a long journey? I realize that that is kind of a relative term. Some of you are the crazy people that like to get on the road and just drive. You just want to see the road. You drive for 12 hours, 14 hours, right? Uh, or you're like me and it's like, hey, we're going to take like a two-hour break in the middle of this trip that only took two hours in the first place, right? Um, my back hurts, my neck hurts, everything hurts. Let's get out of the car. Uh, my family is very much, we'll go on a trip, a long trip for us as we go to Florida. Relatively awesome because a lot of our family is there. And, and so we'll make that. It's about a seven-hour trip if you don't stop. So we don't ever make it in seven hours. And, and we stop somewhere in the middle. We have also been known to just stop at a hotel halfway. Um, just so we don't have to do the whole trek. And so one of my favorite places to actually stop, though, is the rest stop. The reason being is you just kind of get off and then you get back on. Because the real goal for me as the dad is I'm racing that clock on my phone <laughs> that told me I would be there at 7 o'clock. As soon as it said that, 6.59 was the absolute latest we were allowed to be to the place that we were headed. Right? Does anybody else do that? Amen. amen. I knew I'd get at least one amen with that. Hey, uh, man, I, I love the rest stop. It's one of those places, my guess is pretty much everybody has been at some point. If you've got kids, you get them out of the car, you just like run around so you'll stop fighting with each other. You use the bathroom, you hit up the vending machine so you don't get grumpy and hungry. Then you get back in the car and you take back off on your journey. And so I want to look in scripture at the time that Jesus and his disciples did that. The main difference is really that he didn't have his kids with him, he had disciples. But if you look at the disciples' lives through scripture, you'll realize not that big of a difference at all. <laughs> so John chapter four, we start in verse one. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Restop. Sakar, I mean, excuse me, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And I want to pause there because that time, noontime, is actually really important. Because, see, this is a well. Again, in this day, they didn't have, you know, some whatever you get your fancy water delivered to your house through thing. It was, you go get your water for the day, you bring it back to your house. You walk on foot to the well, you carry it back in these huge jars. So 
there's pretty much almost 100% chance nobody would be at this well at noon because it's hot. It's just hot. And nobody wants to carry these massive jars of water from the well all the way back to their house in the heat of the day. And so most people would come in the cool of the morning. I know for Rachel and I, it's summer. We've started taking our, our, our dog on walks actually in the evening, like seven is the earliest we're going. Like it started to cool down, right? And what we've noticed in our neighborhood is that we are not the only people that have started to realize that the sun goes down around that time and starts cooling off. And so we naturally start bumping into all these people in the neighborhood walking their dogs at the same time. And then we strike up conversations and eventually we socialize a little bit, get to know each other. And then our dogs bark at each other and we go, okay, we have to leave now, right? And so that's, that's kind of what that looks like. And that's kind of this vibe at the well. It was kind of honestly the first water cooler because they would come and they would take turns drawing from the well. And I have to believe as they did that, they were socializing. They were asking about the family. They were asking how life was going. They really, they went through life together. This was their morning every morning or for some probably evening as well. But nobody would have been there at noon unless they were trying to not be seen by other people. And so Jesus is at this well at noon and we pick up in verse seven. It says this, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now I know that that does not sound like a crazy statement, but can I tell you that this is actually a very crazy moment and a very crazy statement. All of this should not have happened. One, why are they both at the well? That doesn't make sense. Two, Jesus is Jewish. She's Samaritan. And for simplicity's sake, Jews and Samaritans, their relationship was basically, we don't talk to each other. That was, if you, if you go and study their history, there was a lot of, there was, there was the Assyrians came and, and, and took over Samaria. They, they like took away a whole bunch of the Israelites that had any, they just deported them. Any, any means, any wealth, any of that stuff. They got, got rid of those Israelites and the Israelites that were left in Samaria, they, they started to, to kind of marry with foreigners. And then it, it, it kind of became, as the Jews would see it, this impure thing. Right, It was this, this people that was born out of a rebellion and they had kind of messed with the religion and some of the beliefs a little bit. And so when the exile of Babylon happened and those, those Israelites started to come back to their homeland, they looked down at these new Samaritans because they didn't measure up to what they thought they should measure up to, right? And so there was this tension between them all the time. It was kind of like if you've ever been in a disagreement with somebody, an argument, a fight, whatever that might look like for you, right? And you both happen to walk into the same room at the same time, but you don't want to talk about it. You don't really want to fix the problem. You just don't make eye contact and you pretend like everything's going to pass. And then you walk. Basically, everybody in the room that's married knows what I'm talking about. That's what we're saying, right? You just kind of are going to avoid that for a little while until it's time to talk about it, except they had no plans of ever talking about it. It was just, we're not going to fix this. Let's not talk. That was the relationship that Jews and Samaritans had. And so for Jesus... A Jewish man sitting in a well to go, will you give me a drink, is a huge deal. It's a huge, huge deal. And so in verse 8, we read, he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to the vending machines to buy some foods. You guys see, it's a rest stop, right? Verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Okay, so not, not only was he Jewish and she was Samaritan, right? But now we find out they're alone at this well, right? Guy, girl, alone at well, Jewish, Samaritan. 
He wants to share water. Like that's weird. Like that they even, they don't talk, let alone share things. Okay. Everything about this is strange, right? Verse 10, Jesus responds, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And so Jesus, he's kind of easing into this, this concept of, I don't actually need you to give me water. Okay. I'm Jesus. He's, he's really offering a chance for her to ask him for something, for him to satisfy something deeper in her. So verse 11, she responds, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? And I know he had to fight everything in him to not go, yeah, I fought him one time, right? He gave us this well. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And here's the thing that I, I kind of feel in this moment, and I hope that this makes sense, but... See, she was coming there every day at noon, one, to avoid everybody. We're not sure yet why, but we'll find out in a minute. But two, she was coming there every day at noon to fill, fill up this water to quench the thirst of her body, right? She was, she was trying to quench her thirsty body, but Jesus was saying, no, I, I'm really here. I'm trying to help you quench your thirsty soul. That part of you that you keep trying to fill up, but you can't seem to figure out, the part of you that keeps leading here at noontime instead of during the day when everybody else is coming, I, I want to help you with that. She was caught up in the natural and was missing what Jesus was really talking about. And I think so often we fall into that same trap. We get caught up in the natural. We get caught up in the things that I can see because there it is. Like I can't not see it. And we feel things and we think things and we see things. And we think somehow if, if somehow I can figure out that thought or that feeling, if I can quench that thirst, then maybe somehow that will help with whatever the heck is going on in here. Right? And so we look, we look to stuff and we look to people and relationships. We look to status. And as so many people have found out, it never works. It never works. It never satisfies that thirst that we have in our souls. And so verse 13, Jesus replies, anyone who drinks this water, he's talking about the well, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. She still doesn't get it, right? She's still, she's still stuck on, I'm thirsty. But she really likes the way he made that sound. That sounds really good. And again, I think we fall into that trap of going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want fulfillment. Where do I get that? Yeah, of course I want to know my purpose. Yeah, I want to walk on my purpose. I want that. How do I get that? That sounds great. But the question I think we have to ask ourselves is, am I willing to do what's required? Am I willing to put in the work? And so she didn't get it. She just asks where can I get that water you're talking about? That sounds great. And so Jesus responds in verse 16 with the most bizarre response ever. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Makes sense. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And if you're like me and you're, you're reading through this story, you go, what just happened? 
right? Like Jesus was just all like, Jesus, and then gut punch, right? Like, why did you say that? Why did, why did you bring that up? What does her husband have to do with this water? If you were with us a few months ago, we did this study in John uh, all about Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was, and we, we discovered Jesus was that word, right? That the word that was spoken and darkness went running, right? That the word that was spoken and the earth was created, that was Jesus. And then a little bit later on in that same chapter, it says that that Jesus, he came full of grace and truth, full, like filled up with grace and with truth. And, and it wasn't like there was a little bit of grace and a little bit of truth or a lot of grace or a lot of truth or that he had figured out some perfect balance of the two and how to use them. No, he in and of himself was completely filled with grace and completely filled with truth. That was the essence of who he was. And so where he went, grace and truth were there. And what I love about this is this is a perfect example of that, right? The grace in Jesus, it was able to look past all the things that nobody else seemed to be able to look past. It was able to look past the, the, the cultural norms that said, no, don't talk to her. It was able to, to look back past all of the religious things that said, oh, she's, she's not good enough. She's not, she's not even a Jew. She's not even like, she's, she's made all these mistakes. And so we don't talk to her. He looked past all of those things. He looked past all of her mistakes. He looked past all the things that nobody else seemed to be able to look past. And he saw a woman at a well who had lost her joy trying to find it. He saw her. He just saw her. That's the grace of Jesus. But he's also filled with truth. And so the truth, truth of Jesus, Jesus did not ignore. He didn't ignore her past. He didn't ignore the sin. It's not like he was saying what you're doing is okay. He's not saying I'm okay with your life and everything you're doing. No, no. He's truth. He is 100% truth. And so he brought it up. Actually, somehow he got her to bring it up. And here's what I'm not saying. I don't think that this is the Bible saying you should call everybody out on their stuff when you see it. Maybe if you've got that relationship, go for it. Make sure you have that relationship first. That's not in the notes. It was free. This is the part I really want you to get. Jesus wasn't distracted by her past. He was determined for her future. He wasn't distracted by the past mistakes. He wasn't distracted by the five failed marriages and the guy she was living with. He wasn't distracted by any of those things. He was completely determined for her future and what he saw in her, the future that he had called her into. He was determined to set her back on the path towards that future. And so he met her at a well at noon in the middle of all of her mess, right? Romans 5, 8, it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners in the middle of our mess. He wasn't waiting for her to figure out all the marriage stuff. There was no, hey, I need you guys to move out and figure that out before I'll even talk to you. There was, there was no mention of let's, let's fix all these things and then we'll talk about this living water. No, just here I am in your mess, here's the water. That was Jesus' message to her. And then she responds in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. There was no denying that. She just, I mean, he just said all of these things. He's got to be a prophet. 
But then hard left turn. She goes, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim? That's probably how you say that. Where our ancestors worshiped. Again, she doesn't, she doesn't get it. Actually, I, I think she might get it a little bit. But I think she is so used to the condemnation that is thrown at her by men just like Jesus. At least seem to be just like Jesus. People who had told her she wasn't good enough her whole life. Who had looked down on her. Who wouldn't speak to her. Who wouldn't be seen in her presence. Who made her feel less than and worthless. That was her every day. And so she ran into another man that told her all of this stuff about herself. Said, I, he, he said, I see you. Yeah, I see all of your stuff. I see all of your mess. And so I think her defense went up. And instead of leaning into the conversation he was trying to have, she tried to get it back to this quarrel between Jews and Samaritans. And, and Jesus responds, and I think what he's trying to do is pull it back to, no, I'm not really concerned about that. I'm concerned about you and me. I'm concerned about you and me. Because see, we know Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation, right? John three sixteen, we know that one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But then the next verse says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And so we know that's not what he was there to do. And so he shifts the focus back to I want to talk about you and I want to talk about me. And as I was thinking through this, this message, I really started to think like, how am I going to paint this picture for the church? Because this is a huge moment. This is a huge moment. And I'll be honest with you, I kept going, I can't do it. But then I remembered The Chosen, the, the, the TV series did this episode with this scene in it. And so I'm going to ask you guys, if you would, for the next few minutes, if you would just check out the screens as we watch this scene together. Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, would you ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? And a woman? I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah. Uh, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon. In the heat. You look so kind in the mind. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would, except that you have nothing to throw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? 
That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. 
Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. I do know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. You promise. Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got your food? Verse 23 says, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. And what I love about this, this moment is that Jesus, he, he looks at her and, and he looks at us, I believe, today, and he says, it really doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're on a mountain or you're in a valley. It doesn't matter if you're in that church or this church or if you're at a well or a rest stop or wherever you may find yourself. All that matters is that Jesus is with you. Because where you go, he's, he's gonna go. And you can worship him there in spirit and in truth. And I love that it says the Father is looking. He's looking He's looking for you, Jesus, just like he, he looked for this woman. He pursues us. He chases after us. And you know, as I was preparing for this message, I, I kind of kept going back to this thought that just so often on our journeys, we get so caught up on where we're headed, on our destination, on our plans to get to that place that, that we don't. We don't take the detours. We don't take the moments to, to have those conversations and to do, do life like this and, and have those real moments with people. And as I kind of started stewing over that thought, I gotta be honest, I had a really arrogant thought in the middle of it. It, it was, I wanna be that for people, which doesn't seem arrogant, but as I continue to think, hey, maybe I'll preach on that. This question arose inside of me that just broke me, if I'm being honest with you. It was, do you really think you're Jesus in this story? And I'm not. I'm the woman at the well. I'm the broken one. I'm the messed up one. I'm the one that keeps going back to the same stupid problems over and over again. But he meets me there and he finds me there and he pursues me and continues to 
And I don't get it. I'll be honest with you. I don't get it at all. But that's who my Jesus is. He meets me in that place. I'm just the one that keeps running back to it. And I'll tell you, I kept running back to it and I was so thirsty for something. And it wasn't until Jesus came along and offered me a drink of that living water that he spoke about that I have actually felt satisfied. And I know that my brokenness is different than your brokenness. And I know that where he met me is different than where he's gonna meet you or where he has met you. But I do know that he longs to meet us there and offers that living water. And here's the deal, Jesus is the living water. That is the simple truth of it. He is the living water. He alone fills that void. He alone quenches the thirst that your soul longs for. And there are no num number of men or women that can fill it. There is no amount of alcohol or drug or other substance that can drown out that desire inside of you. The emptiness that so many of us have wrestled with is only satisfied by Jesus. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It will always be Jesus. And can I just tell you that he has continued to be that joy in my life. In the middle of chaos, like we just sang about, right? He, he's given me peace that makes no sense. He continues to pursue me. Even in my hardest moments, when I've lost people I've loved, he pursues me and he brings me that peace. When people I love are hurting and those thoughts creep in and those doubts creep in, he's there. He pursues me. Because the beautiful thing about this relationship that I have with him is, is that there is nothing that I could go through that changes the truth of who he is or what he means to me. And there's not a church that I could walk into or that you should be able to walk into where somebody in there with a bunch of broken people makes you feel less than or worthless. Because here's the deal, when the Messiah looks at you, he says, I'm, I'm not looking at all that, I'm looking at you. I see you. He's the shepherd that left the 99 sheep to go chasing after the one that ran away. That's the Jesus that I follow. And what's so amazing about this story is that it really is considered the moment that Jesus first publicly lets somebody know this is who I really am. Right, verse 25, uh, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who was called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. See, Jesus, he didn't pick some perfect man that was just like him, that knew all the laws, followed all the laws, crossed every T, dotted every I. No, he picked the lowliest of women in a town that nobody cared about, who was hated by everybody in his culture and everybody in her culture. And he said, I'm going to use this lowly of women to make the biggest announcement in human history. That's how Jesus works. And I have to believe, I have to believe that when Jesus, the word that was in the beginning, right, that spoke and darkness went running, when he spoke, the earth was formed. When that Jesus looked at this woman in her brokenness and said, I am, the same words he said to Moses, I am the Messiah. I have to believe that that weight fell off of her. I have to believe that instantly the darkness went running again. I have to believe that another spring sprung up inside of her of joy 
as the creator spoke into her life, not simply because he spoke and saw her, but because he, she finally saw who he was. And in that moment, joy was birthed inside of her. And you may be here and you may think that this is too crazy to believe. You may be here and think that you're too messed up for Jesus to ever pursue you. You may think that your life is just so seemingly meaningless that he has no reason to pursue you, no reason to try to use you. And to you, I would just simply say you're wrong. He sees you, he knows you, he wants you. And not only are you his son or his daughter, you are his joy. Hebrews 12 tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured a cross. I believe with all that I am that he endured that cross for me and that he endured that cross for you. And so I'm gonna ask you if you would, just close your eyes. And I promise you that we're not gonna ask you to do anything weird. Uh, I just, I just wanna simply ask if you're here today and maybe you relate with this woman at the well. Maybe you know exactly the way that she has felt. Maybe you're in that place. Maybe you have been in that place and you have yet to find the joy that you see that she has found in this moment. And you're ready to receive that joy to step into who he's called you to be, to step into the future that you know that he has for you. I just wanna ask you if you're ready to say yes to Jesus today. And when I say yes to Jesus, I don't mean yes to a church. I don't mean yes to something that a pastor has said or, or some picture that somebody has painted for you at some point of Jesus. I just mean if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, the Jesus that we just talked about today. Would you just slip a hand up in the air today? I'd love to pray with you. Awesome, awesome. Come on church, can we celebrate that? If you're making that decision, I just, I wanna ask you if you would to just repeat this prayer after me. The church is gonna help us pray it and there's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just a new positioning of your heart. Pray this with me. Jesus, thank you for the truth of who you are. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for seeing my future when I can't. Today, I give you my life. I want you to be the one who leads and I'll follow. Please forgive me of my past mistakes and help me to walk toward the future you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church. I want to finish the story really quick, and I want to speak this over you as the blessing. In verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And so here's the final truth that I want to share with you. It's not only that, that, that Jesus was determined for her future, it's that he's determined for the futures that are connected to her future. And I believe the same is true of us. He, he's not just determined for you, he's, he's determined all the lives and all the eternities and all the futures that are connected to your future as well. And so the blessing I wanna speak over you today is just one of boldness 
and of joy. May you go out of this place filled with boldness and filled with the living spring of joy of what Jesus has done in your life so that you might not be able to contain that joy and so that it would spill out into all the lives that you come into contact with. And so I commission you to go out of this very place and do that very thing. Share the love of Jesus with everybody that you come into contact with. Upward, we love you and we will see you next time.